welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Well, good morning, everyone. We are continuing in our sermon series in Ephesians, and after several weeks, we're finally in chapter four. Yay! It's been a great time together. We're in chapter four, and what we're going to do today, I'm going to encourage you to have your Bibles open. If you didn't bring your own, we provide one for you. Ephesians 4, we're going to do not just verses 1 through 6, is what I originally planned. I was preparing this week, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, uh, where I decided to go all the way to verse 16. So we're going to cover a lot of area today and try to touch on a few highlights, highlighting the, the fact that this is a transition section. Paul's going to talk about unity and diversity. He's going to talk about leaders equipping other people, the body of Christ, and what does it mean to be mature in the faith. And so as we look at Ephesians Four, uh, we are uh, mindful we're covering a lot of ground. Now, in this section, we see Paul makes this pivot in his letter with this important transition word, therefore. Take a look at verse one. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So to remind you, Paul is writing from prison. We see that explicitly saying here. He is uh, reminding the Ephesians the great lengths that Paul himself is willing to suffer in order to build them up in the faith. He's also reminding them the great lengths that God has endured, God has done to reach out to them. He wants them to know that God loves them so much and that Paul is loving them so much that he's willing to suffer uh, in order for them to grow. He wants them to give their all for Jesus. That's what this section he's really highlighting. Now, Paul spent, if you remember, the first half of the letter, chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's emphasizing God's plan to unite all things in heaven and earth in Messiah Jesus. That's really the story of the whole letter, okay? Every sermon pretty much is about that in Ephesians. And he, being God, will spend, God will use Paul to use the second half challenging the Ephesians and the listeners of this letter to live out this unity. So again, to remind you, chapters one through three, what I've been saying, it outlines a solid orthodoxy, a right way of thinking that how God the Father, Son, and Spirit has invited all the nations, all people, all backgrounds, all colors into his one unified church by calling and filling the elect. And then Paul's going to spend the second half of the letter, chapters 4, 5, and 6, doing something a little different. He's going to say, since that is true, he's going to emphasize the unity that is to be expected of God's people who understand that you're chosen, understand that we are gifted to build up the body of Christ. We're gifted to bless others. So he's giving them the right thinking in the first half and then the right way to live in the second half. Take a look at verse 1 again. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, Paul is exhorting them to live a life consistent with their calling described in chapters 1 through 3. He's saying, since you've seen all this really great news about God and about you, isn't the natural thing for you to live it out, to live up to the calling, to live up to the reality of who you are in Christ, that you are beloved children, that you are chosen before the foundation of the world, that you're beloved. You know, today's a special day in our family because we celebrate spiritual birthdays. Remember a couple weeks ago, I had this 
birthday hat on and we sang happy birthday. A couple people in our church gave their lives to the Lord. And so this is Grace and Spiritual Birthday today. And so you know what we do on the birthday? We not only have a special meal, we might have even a special treat, but we reflect and we think about how wonderful it is that we are a child of God. We're chosen, that we're beloved. You know, all of you should celebrate spiritual birthdays too. Whatever date that is for you, when you put your faith in King Jesus to remember who you really are even before you try to do anything, who you are in Christ, you're a beloved child of God. Paul is challenging all of us then as children of God to live a life worthy of our identity. We are beloved, we are chosen, and we're going to hear of it later. We are gifted and sent out to bless a world in need. Take a look at verses 2 and 3. Paul continues, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What Paul is doing, he's highlighting these areas that he wants them to live into. And usually when Paul highlights areas, there are areas that they needed help with. So he's saying these things because they struggled with these things. They struggled with humility. They struggled with gentleness. They struggled with patience, with bearing with one another, putting up with one another. They struggled with love. They struggled with unity. They struggled with peace. I look at that list. I said this last week, Lord, I need help in at least one of these areas, if not of all of them. How about you? Lord, you're speaking to me. Help me, Lord. Grow in humility. Help me to learn gentleness. Help me to be more showing in love. Lord, help me to be one who unifies. Help me to be someone of peace. Maybe that's your prayer today as God is speaking to you. As a beloved chosen child of God, live up to the calling. Peaceful, patient, loving, unified. Verses four through six, follow me there. He says this. Then Paul says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You catching the theme here? Who is over all and through all and in all. See, Paul is appealing to the unity found in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Holy Trinity, and how that is to be displayed in the body of Christ. God's oneness should be revealed in the body of Christ, their oneness in unity. And oneness is the theme of the letter to the Ephesians. Oneness. Verses 7 to 9. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions the earth. Now let's pause for a second. This is a really confusing section. What is Paul saying? We're not exactly sure what he is saying, but let me give a couple highlights. In the midst of this call for unity, Paul is also pointing to a beautiful diversity. Did you notice he said that in verse 7? To each a gift is given. So turn to someone next to you and say, you're gifted. Find someone next to you. Say, you're gifted. You're gifted. In the midst of unity, it doesn't mean sameness. There's giftedness, diversity in the midst of the beautiful unity. To each, a gift has been given. Now, this 
the rest of the verses also gives a little picture that I want to highlight. In ancient times, I've told you this before, conquering king, after he's defeated the army, he would go through the streets of the conquered city as a victor, right? And what he would do was show the spoils of war, and behind him would be a procession of the defeated army, his prisoners, his captives. And so what Paul is doing, he's giving a very clear understanding for those living in that time, which would be this. Jesus is the victorious king. He has defeated the the demons and the dark powers, and he is parading the demonic forces through the streets, showing that through his death and resurrection, he is victorious. And what he is doing, he has not only taken the demonic forces as captives, but he has taken the spoils of war and distributing them to his godly army, to his people. You get the picture that Paul is trying to make here? Paul, the prisoner for Christ, is reminding the church that we're in a spiritual battle, but Christ has already won the victory. And you are gifted as part of the spoils of war to finish the work that Jesus has started and the victory he has already completed. We get to clean up until Jesus comes back again. And as we prayed this morning, I know many of our hearts and minds are thinking again of the war in Ukraine. And, and believers there, millions of them, who are literally in a war, and the churches, some of them that we support, are becoming bomb shelters and, and places where people are getting emergency service and becoming a place of shelter and escaping across uh, borders. The church, the body of Christ, coming alive and serving as needed. And for us, thousands of miles away, to remember that we, too, are in a battle. Maybe we even will help our friends in Ukraine in some way, that God has placed us in some unique way, some unique connection, some unique resource to help bless uh, the people there. And the churches and believers there are true, are two mission partners that are there on the ground helping people right now. And you've been a part of that. You get to be an extension of the body of Christ from here, thousands of miles away. However, God has gifted and blessed and resourced you. That's just one example of a way that God could use you in this season. Yes, there's a spiritual battle going on as the world rages and many other battles. And God has graced us not just with salvation. That's the word gift and grace, same word. Not just salvation, but he has gifted us with diverse spiritual gifts and skills and motivations from God, and resources from God. And so here's the point that Paul is making. We'll even say more clearly later. You play a unique part in God's plan to bring a glimpse of God's goodness on earth until Jesus returns. Friends, that's your one purpose in life. While you're on this planet, it's to point to Jesus, to give a glimpse, a preview of his glory and goodness. He's going to return one day in full power and glory and and, and complete what he has begun, eradicate all sickness and death. But until he comes back, you are to give a preview of the heavenly realities. As Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. Use me to give a glimpse of heaven this week. In our mission statement, we glorify God. We make disciples by connecting people to Christ through small acts of great love. When? Every day. Oh, Lord, use me today to give a tiny glimpse of the heaven realities. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Through my little life, in my own unique way, 
as part of the unified body of Christ. You play a unique part. Here's the good news. There's unity in this battle against the dark forces, but there's diversity in getting the work done. You don't have to be good at everything. You just have to do the thing you're supposed to do, whatever that thing is. You're going to be strong in some areas and weak in some areas, and that's okay because God has gifted you uniquely to play a role in the body of Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata referred to her a lot. She shares a story, shares a story when she was in Germany uh, speaking at a church, and a blind woman named Elizabeth was her interpreter on this speaking tour, and two of them were on stage. You have to imagine Johnny in her wheelchair, and then Elizabeth, the blind interpreter, with her cane. And Johnny says, what a sight we were. And during the break, someone actually placed an American English magazine on Johnny's lap. But of course, with her quadriplegia, she could not open it or flip the pages. So she had an idea. She said, Elizabeth, have an idea. Why don't you hold the magazine and flip the pages and I'll read it? And that way, we can both enjoy it. And then Johnny said, that's exactly what we did I needed her and she needed me. And together we accomplished something that blessed both of us. And then Johnny says this, that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. Just like that. Our combined weaknesses become delightful strengths. Paul says we all need each other, just as a physical body needs hands and feet and ear and eyes to move forward. And if we isolate ourselves from other Christians, we impoverish them. And we impoverish ourselves. Isn't that an amazing thought? That by you not living into your unique giftedness, you're actually robbing us of being blessed because God has made you for some special purpose. Big ones, small ones. God has made you for a special purpose. Take a look at verse 10 with me. Paul continues his thought. He says, Jesus, who ascended, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Remember that word, fill. In fact, what Paul is doing, he has this consistent theme in chapter 1. Paul speaks of Christ's filling. And he says in Ephesians 1.23, he refers to the church as Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Last week in the prayer that Ben covered in his sermon, talked about Christ filling us, filling the body, filling. And so what we see is that Christ fills for himself the church with all blessings. So follow me with this thought here. That means that Christ fills us so that we can influence the people around us and we can care for them by doing gospel good. His filling of us is meant to overflow into the church, yes, but into the world to reveal God's goodness until Jesus returns. Now here's the thing, that Christ doesn't need the church to be made complete. But he has chosen the church to be full, so through his gift of all the blessing, Christ will fill his unified church with these diverse gifts that will build up the body of Christ. He doesn't need us, but we're his plan. Isn't this wild? Christ's plan to reach the world, to bless the world, for heaven to be made known on earth is you and me. God, don't you have a better plan than this? I mean... I could have thought of some better plans. Could involve drones and maybe robots. I don't know. Angels. Me? 
that's you, Tim, beloved chosen child of God, gifted uniquely and part of this amazing thing called the body of Christ. You're my plan. Paul says, live a life worthy of your call. You've been called, you've been gifted, you've been graced to be a blessing. It's filling us up so that we would overflow. We are, we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Jesus continues his ministry through us. Amazing. That should get you excited. We get to live out this call, this mission to connect people to Christ through small acts of great love every day. It doesn't have to be big. Our combined weakness is an opportunity for the glory and strength of Jesus to pour through. Just need to be available. Take a look at verse 11 with me. Let's keep going. I got a lot of ground to cover. And then it says this, and he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Paul lists these leaders, the apostles first, the apostles who were commissioned for a new work. He lists the prophets who declared the word of God with boldness. He, he lists the evangelists who shared the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that any one of us can respond. When Jesus says, come follow me, we can say, yes, forgive me my sins. Thank you for welcoming me in, Jesus the evangelists, but also the shepherds and teachers, which I think means something like a pastor. That's someone like me. Now, I want you to notice this. In this list of gifts of the Spirit, these are gifts of leadership for the church, he doesn't list elders or deacons. Do you know what that means? Because other parts of the Bible clearly list elders and deacons. So what this means is this. This is not an, a complete, detailed list of all the ways that God gifts the church with leaders. This is just a, a sampling of them. So I think this, that Paul's point is to acknowledge specific leaders whom the Holy Spirit has gifted to lead ministries, kind of, and regardless of their different functions, they have one purpose. So we're going to get to this now. Look at verse 12 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Paul lists all these different leaders and says all these different leaders of the church, of ministries, of my work, of the kingdom coming on earth, have one job. And you know what your job is? It's to equip. And to equip who? It says to equip the saints. And you might look around and say, Pastor Tim, well, we don't have any saints here. Like, guess who the saints are? It's you. Christians. Followers of Christ, you're the saints. So the job of the evangelists and the pastors and the, and the prophets and the pastors and probably even the elders and the deacons is actually to equip you to do what? The work of ministry, building up the body of Christ. You are the pastors also. Isn't that amazing? You are. And the job that I have and others have as leaders of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, I like to imagine this. If aliens visited Earth recently and they went to this thing called the Super Bowl, what would they have seen? Imagine with me their report back to the, the alien spaceship. Well, we saw two opposing teams of humans fighting over a brown object. 
that is thrown through the air, sometimes kicked, but sought after like a great treasure. They, they battle with great intensity, and they often take long periods of rest. Sometimes they are called TV timeouts. Strangely, we observed over 70,000 humans in the colors of their respective teams, but they weren't in the fight. They're shouting instructions, those playing things like, my little sister can hit harder than you, but themselves are not willing to get involved at all. It's clear that though they wear the colors of their team, they are unwilling or unable to get involved. The purpose of the vast majority present is simply to observe and not to engage. These humans have very strange customs. I wonder if they came to church what they would see. Sometimes church looks more like a football game. See, Paul clarifies the job description of leaders like me, like your elders and your staff. It's equipping. And sometimes church looks too much like a football game. It's 11 people in the game and crowds of people in the stands. And the church should actually reverse that. It should be a handful of coaches equipping the masses, that's you, the saints, to do the work of ministry. And we get glimpses of that sometimes. But I wonder if we reverse it too often. And we hoard, us leaders, we hoard all the ministry to ourselves and you're missing out on the blessing of being part, of building up the body of Christ, of being a part of seeing heaven being made known on earth. Our job is to equip you. See, though God does call some to lead the church, of course, we all are meant to be equipped saints doing the work of ministry, not just the pastors, not just the staff, not just the elders, all of us equipped saints doing the work of ministry. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You notice in this section that this theme of unity and maturity come out strongly. Now, unity doesn't mean sameness, but working towards the same goal. Maturity doesn't mean you do everything, but rather you do your part. Maturity. It's not even sometimes, oh, perfection. Maturity is often just being available, saying, Lord, use me as you will, even my weakness. See, in the body of Christ, you'll see in other passages of the Bible, the body of Christ, Paul and others will list specific gifts of the Spirit, and there are certain gifts. There are gifts of administration that Paul says the Holy Spirit gives. There are some of the gifts of teaching, some of the gifts of faith, some of the gifts of generosity. Now, personally, my giftings lie more with teaching and preaching than with administration. It's not an excuse. I do lots of administration, but I'm not particularly gifted in that way that I love it, that I do it quickly and efficiently. And some of you are saying nodding yes because I've double and triple booked you on my schedule before, haven't I? Well, thank you. That's my gift of administration, not doing very well. But you know what? I have a friend. That's his gift. He not only does it well, he does it quickly. He loves it. He loves organizing stuff. He loves making things work. God seemed to have gifted him. We're all gifted in a different way. We need people with different strengths to come alongside us to get the work done. Isn't that true? It's true in your work. It's true in the church. You know, I sent out a letter this past week letting you know we're working with a fellow eco-Presbyterian pastor named Mike Barris. He's, we hired him to be a consultant. You know what his gift is? Administration. And you know what he's going to gift us with? He's going to help us 
align clarity around our vision and then how to implement it. We have this wonderful mission statement, and now we need to flesh out our vision. What are we going to look like in three years? What are we going to look like in 10 years? And But Mike's job is, is to equip me and the elders and the staff to be better equippers of who? You. To do what? The work of ministry pastors. <laughs> For you to discover your gifts and to be deployed in ministry towards this unified goal, all with a different set of gifts and different roles, perhaps we're working together to glorify God and make disciples. I want you to take it Ephesians 2.10 with me real quick, if you can, flip back there a page, I think. Ephesians 2.10, actually we'll start in verse 8, to remind you Paul in these famous verses talks about, says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. See that word? Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. In verse 10, for we, saints, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What Paul reminds us of is that you have been gifted with salvation, but not only gifted with salvation, but gifted with the ability to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Do you know what works God has prepared for you? God might use you on the golf course. I'm serious. We have someone in this room who actually, he loves golf and God is using him on the golf course to minister to people. God could use your accounting skills or your organization skills or your prayer gifting, your music gifting, whatever those things are, you are equipped you're called. In Ephesians 2.10, there's a, there's a word, special word there because it says, for we are his workmanship. And in the Greek, that word is poema. And we get the Latin word, it's a, it's a poema, which is the word poem we get from English. And it means something like you are God's handiwork. You are God's work of art. God has specially crafted you in a special way to bring heaven on earth, a little glimpse of God's goodness. You playing your small part while you have breath in your lungs, while you have feet on this earth. You play some special part, not someone else's part, but your own unique part to glorify God and to make disciples, to reveal a bit of his goodness until he comes again. See, God has bestowed in each spiritual gifts and abilities that are part of our design to be used in ministry and serving both inside the church and outside the church. And as I like to say about Ephesians 2.10, you are a poema with a purpose. You are specially crafted handiwork, a masterpiece of work of art with a purpose. And your purpose is to point to Jesus in your hobbies in your art, in your accounting, in your cooking, in your hospitality, in your sports. You get it? It all belongs to him. Use it for his glory. So let's not lose sight as why God has placed you on this planet. It is to shine light in the dark places. God is using some people in this room. I know you are actually sending resources and helping our friends in Ukraine. Thank you. For that. Some of you in this room are, are bringing canned foods and other things and, or helping to organize on the back end our food pantry in Seaside with Martha Henry. I can go on and on and on about different ways that you are being a blessing, discovering, using your gifts, but some of us don't know what our resources are. Some of us don't know, God, what is your purpose for my life? While you have breath on this earth, we are meant to point to King Jesus and to show people what he is like, light in a dark world. 
Yes, he's called you to himself in salvation, but he's called you to be equipped and to be that poema with a purpose, to be sent out. Small acts of great love. Doesn't have to be huge. Lord, help me and show me how I can take a small step of faithfulness today. How we can discover and deploy the gifts that he has given us. And you can ask us leaders, the elders, the staff, myself, how we can help you in the process. We don't have a perfect plan yet, but we'd love to pray with you. And how God has called us to equip you to do the work of ministry. Walk with us as we help you discover the ways that God has meant for you to be a blessing in this world. See, a unified and mature church is one where each individual embraces their call and their identity, their God's chosen beloved, and they're confidently serving the church, the community, the world in your work, with your hobbies, with your family. See, God's is your integral part of the body of Christ on earth. You are this poema with a purpose. Christ himself lives in you. Amen. Celebrate it. Celebrate your spiritual birthday. Yes, you're saved. You're going to heaven. Amen. But until Jesus comes back, we are all on a mission. We're all serving with the Lord to give a glimpse of his goodness. You are gifted with skills, abilities, resources, drives, motivations, ambitions. Lord, which ones of those do you want to shape for a purpose? How is God calling you to use the gifts he's given you to bless others? In verse 14, I'm going to try to wrap up as quickly as I can in these last few verses. Paul says this. He wants you to mature to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, Paul is speaking about what a mature believer looks like. And what is this? It's being properly taught by the leaders of the church. We do have a role, absolutely, to teach good orthodoxy, good theology, good, good beliefs, and not to get distracted by false doctrines. But also our job is to equip. Yes, it's to teach, but it's also to equip you, to help you do the work, to help you grow in love. You see, it's godly thinking combined with godly action, godly doing. It's this balance of getting trained up and then actually going out. Can you imagine if all the professional athletes we know, if all they did every day was train and train and train and they never competed? You'd say, what a waste of time. Friends, we come to church and listen to podcasts and go to Bible studies. and We're training and training and training and training. Amen. Great. Keep training. You know, the Lord wants us in the church to be built up and then be sent out. There's a story of a, of a man who served in George Washington's cabinet. He was totally bald, but in contrast, he had this long, flowing, and very bushy beard. And Washington, who was trying to make a point about improving his administration's effectiveness, he jokingly pointed at this bald man with the long, bushy beard and said, this is an example of overproduction and poor distribution. <laughs> and I ask ourselves, church, have we over, overproduced in one area while neglecting other areas? See, in most churches in America, we love to hear the pastor preach. We love to go to Bible studies. We love to listen to our podcasts, all good things. But when it comes time to evangelize and to serve, suddenly we have somewhere else to go. It's not a guilt trip. Just reminding us, all that training is meant 
to be lived out in your own unique, and I'd even say natural ways that God has gifted you. Cooks and musicians and people who love working with kids and people who are great with art and those who are great at administration and accounting and giving tours and playing golf. You get my gist? All kinds of opportunities. And we get to be a part of seeing how God has gifted you. Has a church overproduced in one area while neglecting another? See, we think the mature believer is the one on stage. That's not true. Or the one with the most knowledge. That's not true either. See, Paul already tells you what godly maturity looks like. It's more diverse than that. He says this in the first verses. He says humility, patience, gentleness, peace, unity, love. That's true maturity. Yes, with knowledge and with teaching and preaching, of course. See, Paul is challenging the church leaders to not keep all the ministry to themselves, hoarding it, but to equip you to do the work of ministry, saints. See, godly leaders invite the whole body of Christ to use their gifts to do God's work. And so I just ask a simple question. One thing, do you know your spiritual gifts? Do do you know the way that God has uniquely resourced you and, and gifted you in various ways to bring a little glimpse of heavenly reality on earth through your small little life. We'd love to help you pray about that. You know, surveys of churches reveal that only 5% of churches have some kind of highly structured way to help members discover and deploy their God-given gifts. You know, we're one of those churches that haven't developed something. I hope a year from now it'd be a totally different story as we work with our friend Mike and pray with our elders and work with our staff, that we will actually find ways to help you discover gifts, help you discover the vast resources that God has given you that you can find your small part in this work of God on planet Earth. Oh, what a fun time that will be. You know, there's a story that the world conqueror Alexander the Great, he was inspecting his troops and he noticed a very shabbily dressed soldier. He went up to the soldier and said, what's your name? And the soldier quietly said, Alexander. (laughs) And without hesitation, Alexander, the commander, went right up to this shabbily dressed soldier and said, I want you to either change your ways or change your name. Christians, you know, it literally means little Christ. Lord, help us live up to your name. We're given one job on this earth. Take the gifts that God has given us and to share it. Different gifts, unique gifts, but you've been gifted and empowered to do something meaningful and purposeful on planet Earth. You know, Viktor Frankl is a famous psychologist and Holocaust survival. He once commented that post-World War II, more and more people were coming in to see him with a brand new illness meaninglessness. One way to look at this was that the phenomenon was that during the war, people were able to rally behind a purpose to unite, to defeat the enemies of freedom, to make sacrifices for a greater, higher purpose. And short of that, you know what we're left with? Meaninglessness, aren't we? Friends, as a follower of Christ, you have the greatest purpose of all time. Your chosen, beloved, elected, known children of God. You're empowered with gifts to join God in this joyful and challenging mission 
to give a glimpse of his goodness until Jesus returns and makes all things new, wiping away every tear, wiping away every sickness. Until that day, you are to give the hope of Christ to people through your everyday life. We get to make every moment count. Jane, also known as Nightbird, she stole our heart this last summer. I've talked about her several times. She recently went to be with the Lord. Battling terminal cancer for four years, she wasn't meant to live but beyond just a few weeks. And she penned this poem in the months prior to her passing. And they used this and shared this at her funeral recently. She said this, if I were to die, it would be with the reflection of the mountains in my eyes. I would die with sun pink chink cheeks and a mouthful of blackberries. I want to die while my heart is still a greenhouse for hope. All my wild dreams as seedlings in egg cartons reaching toward the window. I cannot die yellow and hungry. I will not die in sterile air, but I would like to die, die while the fireflies are still glowing. Morse code their poetry for a cynical earth. I would like to die like Joan of Arc with dignity and urgency and stubbornness. A watercolor portrait in the night. A sight to behold. A hero in flames. So I simply want to end this sermon with how we began in verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us a clearer vision of who we are in you, telling us who we are before you tell us what to do. Lord, thank you for the ways that you've gifted us, not only with salvation as chosen children of you, the King, but gifted us with spiritual gifts and motivations and resources and desires and dreams meant to be lived out on planet Earth until you come back giving the world a preview of your goodness and your glory, giving the world a preview of this world to come where there'll be no more tears and no more cancer and no more disunity and no more worry and no more divorce and no more abuse. Oh Lord, use us in small ways to point people to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.